to St Matthew's this morning. It's great to see you both here in the building and online. Uh, our first song is a song of exuberant praise, which was inspired uh, in the author by uh, Mary's song. Uh, Mary just so amazed uh, that the Lord would promise that she would become the mother of the Son of God. So let's stand and sing together, Tell Out My Soul. again to St Matthew's. Uh, it's a great day not to have a picnic, hey? <laughs> uh, it's a good call and we were glad of the forecast earlier during the week. Uh, we will look for another day. Um, I used to go to a church where we reckoned we could break a, brow, uh, break a drought by um, planning a picnic. Uh, welcome, it's great to see you both here in the building and online. Uh, my name is Andrew Graham. For those of you who are guests, uh, really glad to have you with us. We love having guests and hope you've been made to feel welcome. And I might say a special welcome to someone I just met uh, who's visiting Manly, Bruce, who's got a significant birthday that the family is um, uh, celebrating together with him. But we're, we're glad to have you with us, Bruce. 
Uh, we're back in the Gospel of Mark. In fact, we've just got one more week after today as, uh, as we work through this particular part of Mark's Gospel. Our Senior Minister Bruce is well and truly back and he'll be preaching to us uh, from Mark chapter 7 where we see Jesus reaching out to non-Jewish people. And almost in the same moment, we see the compassion uh, of Jesus, his compassionate nature, but we also see a confronting side to Jesus. Uh, he's not just a nice person, the Lord Jesus. Uh, he comes as the Lord God himself, as the Messiah. And so we see him uh, from Mark 7. That's something to look forward to later in the service. Now, ours is the service today of the word, God's word, and of prayer. And at a number of points through the service, we'll be praying. Uh, the first of our prayers is one in which we prepare for the rest of the service. We ask for God's help. And then we've got a, a, a prayer of thanksgiving. Uh, it's very easy to take God for granted. And so great as we come together uh, to be specifically thanking him. And uh, a little later during the service, Rhonda will be leading us in a, a number of prayers about local concerns and concerns across the world. But let's begin with this prayer of preparation. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. And together let's pray this prayer of thanksgiving. Gracious God, we humbly thank you for all your gifts so freely given to us, for life and health and safety, for power to work, leisure to rest, and for all that is beautiful in creation and human life. But above all, we praise you for our Saviour Jesus Christ, for his death and resurrection, for the gift of your spirit, and for the hope of sharing in your glory. Fill our hearts with all joy and peace in believing. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And we're now going to say Psalm 95 together, a, a psalm that's had a prominent place in the services of morning prayer in uh, the Anglican Church and the Church of England. And it's a very fitting psalm for us to read together as we call on one another to, to, to lift our hearts, to shout in praise of God. But then it also, in, in it also, we call on one another to make sure that when we hear God's word, we listen carefully and we learn from those in the past who failed to listen and suffered the consequences. So shall we read Psalm 95 together? Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, 
as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Amen. Just before Rhonda leads us in prayer, uh, there's a few things to let you know about, about what's going on in our church family. Uh, in the first place, I'd like to again extend a word of welcome to those of you who are visiting with us uh, or who are with us for the first time online. Uh, one thing I'll say is straight after the service, we have morning tea out across the courtyard and in the function room. We'd love it if you're able to join us there. Uh, but if you do have to rush off, make sure you say hello to someone before you leave. I'll try and be at the back of the... Um, uh, of the building there before you love it. I'd love to uh, meet you. Uh, but welcome. Uh, something we've heard about over the last little while is that the annual general meeting is on tomorrow night. So just a reminder about that. Uh, 7.45 start here. Uh, there are papers at the back. Uh, the audited accounts are there. Uh, and also nomination forms for various positions that are coming up there. Even if you're not able to make it, please do be praying uh, for that meeting. It's an important meeting in in the, the life of our church, that, that matters of business are, are quite transparent, and especially the election of people to the parish council and as wardens, so do be in prayer for the AGM tomorrow night. Uh, it's only a couple of weeks now, three weeks till Easter. Uh, next week, as I, I mentioned, will be the last in this series on Mark's Gospel. And the following week, the Sunday prior to Easter, across the day we've got some really interesting things happening. Not that it's not really interesting every week, uh, but particularly on, on the musical front. So at the 8 o'clock service, we've been preparing for this for some time, our, um, I've forgotten the word, our Passion Tide, our Passion Tide service will be on. So that's a, a, a really beautiful program of Bible readings and music, some of which we'll sing together. Other, uh, other parts of the music, we'll just have the, have the pleasure of listening. And there'll be a short sermon as well, uh, two weeks from today. Uh, later in the day, it's one of those days where it might be worth coming to, to church twice. What a, what a thought. It used to be the habit of many people. Uh, we've got the Afrofest um, uh, uh, band joining uh, Dave and the others to lead the singing at, at our later services at 10 and 5 and 6.30. Uh, so there'll be wonderful music that day. Uh, and Deb and Cezanne, our women's ministers, uh, will be speaking to us with some reflections uh, on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, next, that, that, that week would be a good week to bring a friend to, to, uh, to engage in those special programs of music. And then at Easter time, on uh, Easter Friday, there'll be two services uh, on the morning, on Good Friday, and on Easter Sunday, uh, we'll have services across the day at the normal times. Uh, we've got postcards ready to deliver to people around Manly. Uh, that are, uh, there's piles of them up the back there. Take some with you if you'd like, uh, uh, so that you can invite people along to our Easter services. That's coming up over the next couple of weeks. Oh, the final thing to mention is that next term, uh, we'll be having the next round of the Alpha course. The Alpha course is one that's been such a blessing to people. Um, it, it's, it's a course that gives people an opportunity to probe the big questions of, of life and faith and God and Jesus. Uh, there's plenty of room for friends of yours uh, to ask questions, 
if they or you are not certain about God and Jesus. Great course. And we're looking to build the team uh, that will run Alpha, Cezanne. Uh, one of our women's, women's ministers will lead uh, that team. And she's looking particularly for people who might be able to help out with hospitality. We put on a meal each evening uh, or with managing uh, the conversation around the tables. So that's Alpha coming up in, um, in term two. If you're interested or would just like to know uh, whether you might be able to help out, you could let Suzanne uh, um, know via the digital connect card. Or again, just let, let me know before you leave today. Rhonda's going to come and lead us now in prayer. Thanks, Rhonda. Good morning. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, you are eternal, almighty, sovereign. We praise you that through the death and resurrection of your son Jesus, we receive pardon, forgiveness, and peace. Forgive us, Father, for the times we turn away from you and fail to live for you. In your mercy, hear our prayers. Father, we pray for Ukraine and its people. Have mercy on those who, who now suffer the miseries of war, not of their own making. Have compassion on the wounded and dying Comfort the brokenhearted. Confound the hatred and madness of those who make war. Unite us all under the reign of your Son, the Prince of Peace, before whose judgment seat the rulers of all the world will give account. We pray for the three million refugees, 90% of whom are women and children. We pray that they will be kept safe and that as they cross the borders, they might find provision and care. I pray that you'll rally your people to care for them. I'd like to pray now for David and Michelle Fouchon. We pray for David that he will serve faithfully and with discernment as he leads the mobilisation team for SIM in New South Wales and ACT. We pray for two couples preparing to go out on the mission field to new destinations. For Zhong and Tin going to South Asia and Joseph and Mary to a difficult location. We ask that their, world, their work will be fruitful for the sake of your kingdom and that you will continue to grow them and guide them and teach them the way to go. Father, we thank you for the church baptisms that happened last week and for the 10 members who were baptised. We pray for Martin, Sophia, Lucy, Poppy, Emma, Lachlan, Alyssa, Sean, Carissa, Tans. It is with joy that we give thanks for them. Keep them drawing closer to you, guiding, guiding them, teaching them, and teaching them how to obey everything that you have said. Protect them, Lord, in these early days so that they will never be misled by the prince of lies. May they know your great love in ever-increasing measure. Father, we pray for those in our congregation who are shut in or who are now in full-time nursing care and who used to be regular members. 
We thank you for them. We thank you for their faith. We thank you for the things that they contributed to church and that they continue to, to know you and worship you. We thank you for Theodore Smith, Maureen Goldston Morris, Dennis Rosario, Robert Ross, Ruth Ross, Richard Ty, Liz Gilmore, Norma Odlam, Pam Collis. We pray that in their increasing frailty and isolation, you would be their ever-present comfort and strength. Thank you for the care they receive from loving families and others that care for them. Keep them knowing you, growing in you, and loving you always. May you be their hope and their delight. I'm just going to give us a minute now to pray for those people we might know who might be grieving or might be in difficult situations. Um, so just to pray in your own head. So let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Uh, before our Bible reading, uh, we've got a chance to sing, so please stand for our offertory, offertory hymn.
Today's reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 7, verses 24 to 37, which you'll find on page 1009 of the Church Bibles. Jesus honours a Syrophoenician woman's faith. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered the house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Jesus heals a deaf and mute man. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. He then spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. I'll be working off here. Well, good morning, everyone. Sorry, that noise was not you, Kobe. I think that was the microphone I've got on, so I'm just going to lectern mic. Well, it's good to be back and uh, good to be up teaching God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these challenging, intriguing stories, and I pray, Lord, that you would really work powerfully in our hearts and minds as we think about what it means to follow you in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start today just with a very simple question as we think about encountering Jesus. And I'm going to speak on what the Bible was read as well as a little bit extra that was at the end of the reading. And I've got a very simple question for us this morning that I want to start with is, um, why do you follow Jesus? And each week that I've been preaching in the series on Mark, uh, I've wanted to ask one simple question of us. And we've looked at the parable of the four seeds and I asked, what is your hearing like? When I looked at the miracles of Jesus controlling the sea, how well do we know Jesus? And then the casting out of the demons, 
the question was, how important is prayer for you? Well, the question today is why? So it's not the question of how or what, but why is it that we follow Jesus? And it's a very important question to ask, and it's a question I'm asking myself in this age that we live in. There's no doubt every year the church and the gospel is moving further away from the culture that we live in. Uh, you don't have to know a lot about the world and our current scene in Australia to know that there's just this widening gap between the Christian faith and where our current society sits. And there's numbers of implications for that. One is, I think, in a positive note, the gospel now shines brighter into the darkness. And it provides great opportunity to actually clarify and speak with great hope that there is hope in this world that we live in. But it also means it is getting increasingly more difficult. And I think we ask ourselves, why do I follow Jesus? Why do I give up a precious Sunday to come to church? And on holidays, it's interesting seeing the amount of people who don't come to church and what they're doing on a Sunday. Why do you love people who are difficult to love? I mean, Jesus told us to love our enemies. Uh, why do you try and share the gospel with people and encourage people to find out about him? Why do we encourage and why do I encourage people to live sexually pure lives in a world where anything goes in terms of sexuality? Why do you give hard-earned money to the gospel and people in need? I mean, these are all questions and they come back to the question of why do we follow Jesus? And we're in Mark chapter 7, verse 24, as we progress through. And if you've got your Bibles there, I'd love you to have them open. We're on page 1009 for those that uh, have the Bibles in the seats in front. And I was talking to Scott this week. I said, I don't think if you were doing a top 10 stories in Mark's gospel that any one of these stories would feature. <laughs> um, they're not well known. In fact, I think if you did the top 20 stories, they probably wouldn't feature. It's one of those passages that you would only deal with if you were just working your way systematically through Mark's Gospel, which is what we're doing. It's called expository preaching. And it's very helpful because it forces us to speak on passages that we might not ordinarily speak on. And this is typically one of them that we ordinarily wouldn't probably choose. And I think it's a very helpful and very powerful passage. And what we're going to see is three things about Jesus as we go through this section. And I'm going to finish at Mark chapter 8, the beginning, and you'll understand why. But there's three things. There is, as we look at Jesus, there is confronting Jesus, there is compassionate Jesus, and there is compelling Jesus. And I think all of these three facets of who Jesus is answer that question of why do we follow him? Well, let's look at confronting Jesus. And it's a very striking story. You may have winced in the reading. I'll pick up from verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. Uh, it's worth giving a few observations from the text. Uh, he's now in Gentile territory. He's moved out of uh, the boundaries of Israel. They were fairly loose at one level. Uh, it kind of merged one with the other. But he's now in a territory that is predominantly uh, filled with Gentile people, non-Jewish people. And he again wants to remain out of the public eye, presumably I would take it to rest. As you've read through the chapters so far, uh, he appears exhausted with all that he's been doing. But word was getting out here, as would happen in all the places he was, that Jesus had arrived. 
And we pick up in verse 25, in fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syria, Phoenicia, and she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Now, one of those who heard was this woman. Uh, We don't have her name, we just have a description of her. And she's not Jewish, she's a Gentile lady, we're told, uh, of Greek descent, uh, Syria-Phoenician. And there's a few things to note. It's an unusual interaction that takes place because there's a number of reasons why a Jewish teacher in that day would not have engaged with this woman. Firstly, she is a woman, so it typically wasn't something they would do. Secondly, she's not just a woman, she's a Gentile woman which is also what Jewish teachers would not do. Thirdly, he's inside the house with her, uh, which would have made him unclean. And she has, in Jewish law, an unclean daughter, someone with an impure spirit, possessed by a demon. And so all of these things add up. It's a very unusual conversation that takes place, but Jesus is not concerned uh, by the social barriers of the day and very happy to engage with her at one level. He's not put off. But if I can be honest, it's a fairly confronting conversation that takes place. Verse 27, here's his response. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, I just need to stop here and just say a couple of things um, and acknowledge what probably many of us, if not most of us, may be thinking And it's what I thought when I read it. And you think, what is up with Jesus this day? Uh, Did he wake up on the wrong side of the bed? (laughs) Has he had something dreadful to eat? Has he just had a big argument with the disciples? Because what he says sounds incredibly rude. I mean, it's very sharp. It appears sexist and racist. I, I don't think you can get away from that. To describe someone as a dog in Jesus' day was derogatory. He's not talking about a nice little designer puppy that we might see these days in people's backyards. Dogs in biblical times were typically viewed negatively and they are throughout all the scriptures. Now for a Gentile to be described as a dog by a Jew actually was a common thing. That's how they did describe them, they are the dogs. But what's shocking, I think, is that we hear it from Jesus' mouth. Uh, The whole tone of what he is saying appears to be negative. He's saying Gentiles are dogs in comparison with Jews who are the children of God. It's a very stark contrast. Uh, The one softening thing to note is that according to Jesus, the dogs still get to eat at the end of the queue. Now, at best... It's a challenge by Jesus to justify her request for her daughter to be healed as a Gentile. And fortunately, she is equal to the challenge. But I just want to note one thing. What we don't know, uh, because you can't know this, is the tone or the look with which the words are said. And some commentators have said this. It's possible Jesus said this with a smile on his face because it was something that was readily acknowledged that the Jews did not engage with the Gentiles and he uses the language of the day and in just the same way we might call an old friend a villain with a smile on my face and wink 
Now, now that is a possibility. I'm here trying to defend Jesus, you can see. But it is striking. What's fascinating is the woman is not upset or deterred by it from what we can work out. How does she respond? In fact, it's the opposite. Lord, which is very striking, and I'll come back to that. She replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And you can see this kind of interaction that's going, going on. It's like, come on, Jesus, even, they even get to eat. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. And it's almost like Jesus was inviting her to respond in a way that in our culture just seems wrong and racist and sexist. But she had a quick wit and she fired straight back at Jesus and the logic that he used against her she picks up on and agrees with and fires back with. Now I want you to note a couple of things. The way she addresses him. It's a very powerful word, Lord. She recognises his authority and that he was the one who could help her and her daughter. She's respectfully seeking his help. But second, she agrees that what was said was true. Even if it may have sounded jarring and offensive to us today. In other words, that there was a priority for the Jewish people. And that's what Jesus is explaining here to this woman. The Jews are the people I've first come to. The Gentiles come second. She understood that the local Jewish people were the chosen people of God and as such there's always been a historical priority with God to bring the news of salvation to them first. It's what you see all through the New Testament as the gospel goes out, it goes first to the Jewish people and then it goes to the Gentiles. Paul was of the same missionary ideology. He would always go first to the Jews. There is a priority in God's plans for them and we, the non-Jews, come second. Now, it's not that we're not important, but it's just that's the plan and the plan of salvation, the way God has organised things. And I sat in my study and I was thinking and praying, what do we make of this interaction? And this is what struck me. Jesus may be our friend and brother, and he is those things. They're some of the most comforting words. John 15, I treat you not as a servant, but you are a brother. I am a brother to you. He is a friend, but he is far more than that. What you are confronted with here is that he is the Lord. And that is how the woman rightly approaches him. He is the king, and in today's age, which rejects authority, and in general, uh, in general, and in particular, the authority of the Bible and the Lord Jesus. We need to be confronted by him. Jesus' word has authority. He and his words stand over us. And what's fascinating is the emphasis of the section is the way he heals. It's just with a word from a distance. 
Go home, your daughter is already healed. And what we're going to see in the two miracles that follow is that this confronting Jesus is incredibly compassionate and compelling. But what we see first is his authority and the confrontational side of his character. And in the anti-authoritarian age that we live in, what we must not do is reduce Jesus to some sentimental figure who never challenges anyone. The world loves the placid Jesus who loves everyone. And the world will push us to rewrite or reinterpret the scriptures and to reinterpret Jesus so that it suits our own inclinations. I see this happening all the time with Christians. But the person of Jesus has this stubborn shape to him that resists all manipulation. He did pronounce blessing, but he also pronounced curse. He did announce salvation, but he also spoke of judgment. He spoke of the reality of heaven alongside the reality of hell. I mean, here are some of the tough sayings in our day and age that I believe we need to be continually confronted by. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way, Jesus says, except through me. I think another confronting thing he said to us in our day and age of self-service is you heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And it's easy to get so defensive as Christians, but we are to love our enemies. Matthew 7, verse 13 to 14, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. This is Jesus confronting us with the reality that there is only one way of salvation, it is through him. And then the reality of hell, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. He's speaking figuratively about things that cause us to stray from God. And there is a confronting nature to the person of Jesus that we need to take on board, who confronts us with the reality of God and his plans and who he is and that he is holy and that we need to bow the knee to him. So why follow Jesus? Because he confronts us with this reality that the Gentile woman of her day was confronted with. He is the Lord and we need to bow the knee to that authority. Let me tell you a story about a friend, dear friend of mine named Rod. I remember talking to him about the way he was converted and he said it was not an emotional affair. And that won't surprise you if you knew Rod, he's not the most emotional of people. But he came to follow Jesus while doing his postgraduate studies. He was in a PhD program. He'd had a church background and thought Christianity was more about living a good life than about personal salvation. He had no confidence that the scriptures were true and historical and accurate until one day he heard a message from a visiting preacher who spoke of all things about the book of Exodus and historical details within it. 
And it set him on a journey of discovery as he started to read the Gospels with new light and realised it was an accurate historical book that Jesus was who he said he was. And he came to the point of realising and being confronted by the reality that Jesus is the Lord. And he said it wasn't an emotional thing, it was a volitional thing. He said, I just had to bow my knee. I was confronted by him. And I gave my life to Christ. He said the emotions followed later. Why follow Jesus? He is the Lord. I'm going to move more quickly through these second two stories because the second thing we see in this reading is that he's also compassionate. The difference here to the previous encounter is incredibly stark. I mean, you think, is it the same person? Verse 31, then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through the Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. So we're back in the region of where the man with the legion of demons had that demon horde cast out of him, again, Gentile territory. Verse 32, there some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. No doubt they had seen the evidence of what Jesus could do with the man who had the legion of demons thrown out and they bring this man who is deaf and mute. He can hardly talk. And look what happens this time. Verse 33, after he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ear and then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephetah, which means be open at this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. It is just a beautiful healing, miraculously, of a deaf and mute man. And what you see here is a fulfilment of one of the great prophecies from Isaiah who spoke of the day, and I'm reading from Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert. And Jesus is here again revealing that God is with them. But what sort of God? A God of incredible compassion is what you see. Here he is healing the Gentile man who is deaf and mute. Now, the way he heals, I think, just shows you the compassion and care of him. He is deaf, he is mute, he's unable to speak, he's unable to hear. And I take it that the physical actions that he partook of to spit and to physically touch him was not, in a sense, to provide a method of healing, but it really was to pastorally engage with this man, I think, so that he knew something was happening. It was this sense of tangibly caring for him. But what is striking is there is a word used here, and I've got it circled up there, a deep sigh. He looked up to heaven, he is praying, and with a deep sigh. Now, that word is the word for compassion. It's this sense of deeply involved in what's happening and a deep concern for the person in front of him. And this is the side of the Lord Jesus that you see here in this engagement. Not confronting someone with truth in a way that we might find incredibly confronting and racist. I don't want to get away from that, but it was confronting. Here you see this incredible compassion. 
He's not just a God who has authority and can heal with the word. He's a God who has come in the flesh and cares. And it's really profound what is happening here. He is in person fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 35. God has come in the flesh and he cares. Verse 36, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. Of course they did. They're so blown away by what he's done. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He's done everything well, he said, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. We follow Jesus because he's the Lord. But we also follow him because of his incredible compassion and love. Let me tell you the story of Debbie. Debbie will always have a soft part in my life in terms of memories I've got because she was the first person I led to Christ after I'd become ordained as a minister. I'll never forget meeting Debbie. She'd never really been to church. She had no knowledge of the Christian faith. She'd come from a very educated family. Her father was a uh, vice-chancellor at the university. But she had zero knowledge of the gospel. She didn't even know what Matthew, Mark, Luke and John were. And she'd rebelled significantly in her childhood and done all sorts of things and lived with this incredible guilt because of what she had done. At the age of 20, she was desperate to find a sense of hope and a capacity to move on from her mistakes. And I remember sharing the gospel with her. A friend of hers had brought her to church. And I explained to her the death of Christ and that her sins had been paid for, that Jesus loved her and would forgive her if she came to him. And she just sat there and cried. And I'll never forget the words, and I, I never will forget. She said, he'll forgive me? I can't even forgive myself. And at that she just said, I want to follow him. She was so taken by his love. And I remember talking to her about first steps, read one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke or John. She said, who are they? <laughs> she was just responding to this incredible compassion that she heard of in the person of the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit was communicating to her this was real and that's what you see here in this story this incredibly compassionate God who has come amongst us the Lord Jesus who with a sigh and incredible compassion healed the man well, that is also why we follow Jesus. But then I want to move on to the next story, which we didn't have in our reading. It's Mark chapter 8, and it's the feeding of the 4,000. You may or may not know this. There are two feeding miracles in Mark's gospel. This one is unfortunately often forgotten about <laughs> because I think in Sunday school we hear of the feeding of the 5,000, uh, but we often miss the feeding of the 4,000. And they seem so similar. 
And people have wondered, why have we got the feeding of the 4,000 in there? Is it just a repeat of the story? And people who have no confidence in the Bible say, look, Mark's just repeating it in a different way to kind of pad his story out. But there's some significant differences in the stories. One is, it was 4,000, not 5,000. But more importantly, he's now feeding Gentile people. It's actually quite profound. It was the Jewish people he fed first, but now he is feeding the Gentiles. And it's interesting, that program of going first to the Jew and now to the Gentiles is exactly what you see here with the feeding. And there is no sense of privilege of being, uh, the Gentiles being overlooked here. They did come second, but they are fed. And I'll read to you, During those days, another large crowd gathered and were in Gentile territory. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, and the likelihood is they're in the Decapolis region, uh, which is where he had done so much ministry among the Gentiles and such excitement was about him. He says, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. And I just want you to stop and think about this little line, which you can just easily read over. And I just stopped and just wondered at it. I have compassion for these people, these Gentile people. They've already been with me three days and they've got nothing to eat and they're hungry. And I want you just to think about this situation. Something so marvellous was happening, so incredible, and I would say probably so spiritually powerful, we don't know what the ministry was that he was doing, but it's most likely that he was teaching them as well as ministering and healing them because that was typical of what practice took part. For three days, they've hardly eaten because they are so taken by this Jesus and they don't want to leave him. And it just struck me, they're just compelled by him. I don't know if you've ever been in a period of church life or ministry where you think, I just hope this never ends. And I've been in numbers of those where you just sense God is powerfully at work. I remember one time where every week I'd go out and lead someone to Christ. I was the, like the evangelist on staff. And it was just ridiculous in a kind of way that you just thought, I remember saying to God, please stop. <laughs> and I went out and led someone else to Christ. It was just, and I don't mean to boast, God was just palpably at work in the ministry at that period. Now I've had periods here at St Matthews where we've had incredible periods and you think, may it never stop. And you see here this three-day period where these Gentiles are just enamoured with Jesus. It's the only word I can say. They don't want to leave him, such that they've got no food now <laughs> and they need to be fed. And I thought, isn't this the other part of Jesus, that the more you know him, you are just compelled to follow him. You find in this person, Jesus, someone who is unlike everyone. He is so perfect, so kind, so powerful, but yet so confronting and authoritative. 
three days, hardly yet, they're hungry. And that's the context for the feeding of the 4,000. I won't go into that story. I just wanted to highlight those words. People just wanted to be with him. There's never been anyone like him through all of history. And it's the reason that he is followed universally around the world in every culture. I want to finish with a story of our Archbishop, compelling Jesus. And I know numbers of us know Kanishka well. Some of you may not know him. One of the most delightful Christians I've ever met, Kanishka. He's just a class act in many ways. Um, as at ease talking to the Prime Minister as he is with a homeless person at St Andrew's Cathedral and showing both of them incredible grace. If you don't know Kanishka's story, he grew up in a Buddhist household. He had a friend at university who invited him to read the Gospels, Mark and John, and he picked up John. And at the age of 21, as he started to read through John's Gospel, these are his words. I watched a video of it again last night just to check my facts. Uh, there's one on YouTube that you can have a look where he tells the story. He says, I was just captivated by Jesus reading about him. And particularly as I compared him to the person of the Buddha. He said he was so striking and captivating in comparison as a Buddhist. And it's interesting the word, because I had already had the word compelled. He said, I was just compelled to follow him. <laughs> they were his words. Because this person is like no other person I'd ever read about. And he was God in the flesh. And he said he was for me. But was I for him? And I thought, what a powerful question to ask yourself and to be confronted with. This Jesus who is so compelling. I love what Kanishka said. He was for me was I for him. He said, and I bowed the knee and gave my life to him. We live in a crazy world where our faith will be challenged, where it's increasingly difficult to be Christian. There are new laws that came into effect in Victoria last year which will impact ministers down there that if they encourage people to live celibate lives who have same-sex attractions, they could break the law, criminal laws. We drift further and further away from the memory of the Christian faith here in Australia. But I want to say what that means is in the darkness, the gospel will shine brighter and brighter and Jesus is the one that we need to present this confronting, compassionate and compelling person. And I thought the reason I follow him is for all three of those characteristics. I am confronted by him. His words and his authority, they confront me, they challenge me. But my heart melts when I see his compassion and his love. And I'm just compelled to follow him. Friends, that's why we follow the Lord Jesus. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, we do thank you for these stories. They are confronting, but there's just this compelling nature to who Jesus is. He is for us. May we be for him. May we bow the knee and serve him as Lord and Saviour, as our King, as our brother and as our friend. In his name. Amen.
I'll just extend again that uh, warm welcome to join us at morning tea out across the courtyard and in the function room, uh, especially if you're a guest. Uh, we'd love to have more time to chat with you there. Uh, next week, we wrap up this particular uh, part of the journey through Mark's Gospel, and it's really quite exciting because for the first time in the story of Jesus, we have some of his followers beginning to grasp who he is, although they still have some way to go. It's been very helpful this morning, hasn't it, to pursue that question of why I follow Jesus or what would draw me to follow Jesus. And uh, this morning has been a corrective, really, to a soppy Jesus, uh, a nice Jesus, a placid Jesus, as we've been confronted with the confronting Jesus. But one of the reasons to follow him is because he is the Lord of all. But he's so much more. He's a compassionate Lord, and he's so compelling. Uh, we follow him and we love him. So, brothers and sisters, let me uh, leave you with these words of encouragement from the book of Romans. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.